Hello, my name's Patrick, and I'm a Scream Queen. I'm a Scream Queen. And so are you! <laughs> Hello again, my beautiful Screamers, and welcome to another episode of Scream Queens, the podcast where horror gets bent. This is episode 64. I'm sorry, couldn't help myself. Well, tonight, it's a very special episode because you know what time of year it is. That's right, we just had a Friday the 13th, which means it's time for the next installment of my Friday the 13th Spectacular. And this time, we take on part five, a new beginning. It's the most fun you'll ever have watching somebody have diarrhea squirts in an outhouse. We got a ton of show to get to, so why don't I stop blabbing, play a promo, and get funky? Well, I'm already funky, but I'll get funkier, bitch. Just, 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 just you wait. Just, just you wait. Hey, what's the matter for you? You like the zombies? You like the mobsters? Then you're definitely gonna like the zombie mob. It's got everything. Zombies, mobsters, zombies. It's got the family, and especially, it's got the zombies. So put in your iTunes to The Zombie Mob. Order your browser to thezombiemob.blogspot.com. The Zombie Mob, it's an offer you cannot refuse. Hello again, everybody. It's great to be back in New York, home from Colorado, and sitting down with you guys to talk about some scary, scary things. Yeah, so the chatter section of this episode might go a little longer than usual because I got a lot to talk about. I have my whole trip to Denver and all the shit and shenanigans that went on there. And who knows what else might pop up when I'm talking. <laughs> I said pop up. Anyway, as many of you know, I just spent a week in Denver, Colorado as part of the Gala Festival, which is a worldwide event where gay and lesbian choruses from all over come and share their talents and gifts with each other. We get to see all these uh, friends from all around the world and make new ones, and it's this whole great thing. Now, when I mentioned it earlier, someone had told me that it was kind of like the gay choral Olympics, that there was a competition involved, but there was actually not, and I figured that out really quickly, And because that, that's not what it was about at all. You know, you got to see all these incredible, talented groups, and maybe some not-so-talented ones, but the fact that they were there at all had power. You know, people from little places in the middle of nowhere somehow banded together and made a chorus because they wanted to sing and be, hey, we're gay and we're going to sing. Okay, it sounds stupid, but you know what? It's not. Fuck you. You weren't there. You don't understand. For instance, there was a group that was out. They were calling themselves the Australasian Chorus. And they were obviously from Australia, but also from the around the surrounding areas. There were some from Tasmania. There were some from uh, New Zealand and some other remote places. And I'm thinking, okay, there was like seven of them. But somehow, across the space of a continent and beyond, these people got together over Skype because they wanted to sing something with other gay people so badly. And then they traveled halfway around the world to share it with us. Was it great? No. Was it powerful? Yes. And that's what was important. Now, let me see. What can I tell you about the trip in general? Now, I went by myself. Mr. Brad stayed home. 
because uh, I was going on a scholarship, because I'm that important. La, la, la. And um, the trip out was not particularly eventful, except for this. Now, I got there at the airport to fly out. I'm at LaGuardia, and I'm flying AirTran, which, of course, I made the joke last time. You know, it's AirTranny. Ha, 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 ha. So we're over that joke now, are we? Good. Can I move on? Can I tell the story? No. Thank you. Are we? Oh, thank you. Thank you. No, thank you. And I got there in plenty of time, and I'm sitting there, and I have my headphones on, and I'm kind of napping. And I wake up and realize I've been surrounded by people with kids. I'm like, oh, God. And there was, there was this Middle Eastern family to my left. They weren't that bad, except the woman was on the phone, and she was on the phone really loud. She was on her cell phone really loud, and she was talking this loud into the phone. I was like, shut up. Because she would turn and talk to her kids, and she would speak to them in a normal voice. She'd be like, stop that. Stop running around. Stop doing that. And she could turn back the phone. She's like, I thought I was saying. I was going to do this on the Friday. Like, I'm like, oh, my God. Shut up. What was worse, it was this family next to us. I don't know where they were from. I don't know where they were going to. I don't know who the hell they thought they were. But they were, I wish I could have snuck a picture of them. Because they were amazing. Like, every single one of them was dressed like, I don't know what. Like, the teenage daughter, bless her heart, she looked like a walking pom-pom. She was just wearing this thing with all those tassels and doodads and, like, fringe, but would beat it. And just was weird from head to toe. She just, she looked like, I don't know, a Muppet of some kind. But not a cool one. Like a fake one. Like a fuppet. A fopet. Shut up. This was bad enough, but there is this, and the mother's like 50 years old with a side ponytail and dressed like she's 20. I'm like, oh God, Jesus, God. And clearly they thought they were hot shit because they had the New York strut. I'm like, what, what fashion outlet conned you into buying this? Oh yes, they're aware. This is a whole rage in Paris right now. Yeah, uh-huh. Paris where exactly? Paris, North Dakota, perhaps? No, Paris in hell. Paris, is there a Paris hell? No insult to North Dakota. But the thing that got me was, they were actually on the flight before me. I was there that early. So they're going wherever the hell they're going. Their flight gets called. The mother gets up, and she walks all the way. This is her walking. She walks all the way across the airport lounge. And then all of a sudden decides to yell to their three-year-old child, who is also dressed like a complete idiot. Honey! Honey, come on! Mommy's going TT. Do you need to go TT? Come on, go TT with mommy. We'll go TT together. Come on, TT, before we get on the plane. I know you have to TT. Come on, sweetie, come TT with me. TT! And personally, I'm thinking if I was the teenage daughter, I'd be crawling under the chair right now, hoping to die. But then again, I would have already been there because she was wearing what she was wearing in public. And there's a gay man seeing it and going to be talking about it on a podcast someday. And I'm talking really fast because I'm overexcited. I'm thinking, oh, my God. Oh, my God. God, did you really have to walk all the way across the lounge before you decided to get your three-year-old daughter to go TT with you? And do you actually think that by yelling this, we don't know what you're talking about? Because you're calling it TT and not PP. Because PP, that's vulgar. TT, that's code. No one will know what I'm talking about. I'm not embarrassing anybody. You're embarrassing me, madam. But anyway... The trip was fine. I got to Denver. I rode to the hotel in the shuttle with some lovely lesbians because I got off the airport in Denver and the whole place was gay. I'm like, the whole city was gay. It was the gay airport. It was amazing. It was the cruciest airport I've ever been in. But because you don't realize the size of this conference is massive. It's 6,000 people, 6,000 delegates coming from all over and we're all coming in at the exact same time. So it was gay, 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 gay. So we had the gay shuttle to the airport, the lesbian shuttle. I had a lovely time with my lesbians because the, sh- the shuttle ride was forever. I did not expect the shuttle ride to the airport 
to be longer than my flight out, but okay, okay, it's fine. Got bonding time with my lesbian friends. Lesbian friends. <laughs> Sorry, I'm stupid. I'm overtired. Anyway, now, as you know, Denver is the Mile High City. And it really is, because as soon as I got there, I'm like, I can't breathe. Now, some of you might remember, the week before, I had been diagnosed with vertigo. So I'm already lightheaded as it is. So pretty much every time I moved, I wanted to fall over for about three or four days. And you know, when you're trying to sing like that, and you're having extended high notes or long notes, because this guy Charlie, our conductor, he just likes to get on a note and hold it till you pass the fuck out. And that was actually going to happen. I had to sit down several times. However, by the time my concert came around, everything was fine. However, I want to thank my one of my screamers... From Denver, whose name just fell out of my head, just tell me, keep hydrating, drink lots of fluids, you'll be fine. It's getting oxygen into your system through water. So hooray for that. Hooray for that tip person whose name I can't remember. Sorry. And our concert was great. We did the same concert we did last summer, a shortened version of the Accentuate the Positive concert, which was news stories about life with HIV and AIDS today. You know, a more positive spin on things. No pun intended. Actually, the pun was probably intended. And... uh, Here's the thing. Everybody gets these half-hour chunks, and you get a half-hour. If you're not done at the end of the half-hour, they shut your lights off. Goodbye. And there's always this legend. There's this legend that was circulating about the chorus that one year, the speaker got up and just lost track of time and kept talking and talking and talking, and they never got to sing because they turned the lights off on them. And everyone's like, oh, my God, we're going to be that chorus. Don't be that chorus. I guess it was the gala version of The Hook. And when he walked around to the other side of the car, hanging there from the passenger side door handle was the chorus that never got to sing. Rumor has it was New Orleans. New Orleans. But, you know, not whatever. If it happened, it happened. I don't really care. It's really not the point right now. But the thing is, you get this really quick tech rehearsal, and our show was kind of tech- technically confusing. Now, in the show, I got to sing the opening to Totally Fucked from Spring Awakenings. We had interpreted it to be like getting your first HIV test. You know, they're barraging down questions like, have you ever had a condom break? Have you ever participated in unprotected anal sex? Are you an HIV drug user? You know, do you ever share needles? Or anything like that. And it's a feeling of like when you're winning that seven-day wait for your tr- – the panic that, that happens during that seven-day wait while you're waiting for your answer where you're just convinced the answer is going to be bad, whether it is or it isn't. And so I, st- I start off the number with it. There's a moment you know you're fucked. Not an inch more room to self-destruct like that. The thing is we fucked around the tech rehearsal so much and we kept changing shit. For this opening, for this for this intro to this number. And I'm going, my mic is not going to be on. I have a hand mic. And I just know this is going to get fucked up. Because we've changed it so many times. The poor tech guys are already on overload from the thousands of other courses they already have worked with today. And lo and behold, the concert came. The stinger music came up. Dun, 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 dun. And I heard the guy off stage say, is this your first HIV test? He's supposed to be on a god mic. It's supposed to be booming. This sets the whole tone of the scene. It, his mic wasn't on. I said, if his mic's not on, my mic's not on. I start singing, the mic's not on. There's a moment, you know. The mic's not on. However, they turned it on halfway through, and they turned it on just as I said, fucked. So it was like, there's a moment, you know. You're fucked. And I saw everybody in the theater go, ah! And I go, you know what? But you know what? Because it's me, the fact that they turned it off on, they turned it on on fucked seemed appropriate. But aside from that, it was an incredible... Incredible half an hour. The response was amazing. You know, people were coming up and crying to us. Days like, oh my god, we were so moved. I got hugs for three days. I would not take my show cheese shirt off because that made me a superstar. But that's not the point right now. 
Um, I did want to talk about some of the things I saw. I'm sorry, guys. Be patient. I'm trying to make this as fun as possible. Um, there was a group from uh, the Heartland Gay Men's Chorus, which I think is from Kansas. They did a show hosted by Dan Savage. Fuck you. Give up the goddamn podcast award array. And <laughs> it was about that moment when you knew that you were gay. And this hit me for two reasons. It was a good, it was a good piece. I mean, either when you knew you were gay or when your parents figured it out. And, you know, sometimes those kids who didn't, who figured it out at the wrong time and didn't survive figuring it out. You know, the, the suicides and everything. But that's not the point right now. He told this great story about this kid. It, these stories were told by people in the chorus. They were given to Dan Savage, and he read them. And the story was about a man that when he was six years old, for Halloween, he stole his sister's brownie outfit, you know, his junior Girl Scout, you know, her, her junior Girl Scout outfit, and went as a brownie for Halloween. And he said, I had the whole ensemble. I had the little brown skirt. I had the special shoes. I had this... I had the uniform socks that they had that folded up on the top. I had the little brown hat. And, of course, I had the purse to finish the look. And he got to school. And, of course, he got picked on. He didn't really understand why. And he got picked on by one kid so hard that at lunchtime, this boy went out to the schoolyard and he filled that little brownie purse with rocks. Now, later on in the recess, that bully came up and started bothering him again. So he did what any junior Girl Scout would do. He hit him with the purse, which is full of rocks. And the kid, the bully, went crying to the teacher. He's like, ah, Mrs. whatever your name is, he hit me with his purse. And the teacher said, well, you know, maybe if you'd left him alone, he wouldn't have done it. Because the teacher had not realized that he had converted his purse into a deadly weapon. But that's not the point right now. The point is they sang a song, which is from a bigger piece called Naked Man, which is an amazing piece about life... Uh, you know, life as a gay man, you know, and uh, it was called, I never heard this particular selection before, and it was called, um, They Threw Me Down the Stairs, and it was about being bullied as a child in school, and in particular thing, they threw me down the stairs because they wanted, they didn't want to kill me, they just wanted to silence me, they wanted me to go away because I sang too much, because I was too bright and perky, because I was too annoying or whatever. They didn't like me, so they threw me down the stairs to silence me. And they said, it worked because I disappeared after that. I faded into the woodworks. That boy that sang, that made noise, that was too outspoken, disappeared and never came back. And the song was Morning the ghost of that little boy who used to sing too much. And this really struck a chord for me because I've talked about it on the show before. I had the hell bullied out of me in school. And um, before that, I was that kid that sang all the time. And uh, my dad used to travel a lot. He was He's um, VP of a major newspaper. And we would get paid. We, he would get taken on these conventions. And it was the 70s, so you got to bring the whole family. So I got to be a world traveler really young. And I was fearless as a result. I could talk to anybody about anything. I was smarter than the average kid, so I was able to talk about world topics. And there was one incident in particular that my parents loved to talk about. We were in Hawaii. There was a banquet that night. They decided they weren't going to go to the banquet. They were going to meet some old uh, uh, Korean war buddies because my dad was a Marine. And they left me alone in the hotel. I was supposed to get room service. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to get room service. I'm going to the banquet because I had an invitation. This 10-course banquet. So I put on my fancy suit, and I went down to this fucking banquet by myself, and I was sitting at a table with billionaires, some of the most powerful people in the entire world, and I had no idea, no idea 
And I held conversation with them. And evidently, I was so charming that everybody was, you know, contacting my dad saying, what, a, what an amazing boy you're raising. Oh, what a great kid. But that kid's gone now. Because uh, in sixth grade, they were trying to drag me into the cloakroom to beat the crap out of me. And I was holding on to the door jam. And they slammed the door on my fingers and broke a lot of them. I think four of the eight on both hands, uh, two on each hand. And it's something I've talked about with my therapist that that kid died that day. You know, that part of me died that day because I did fade into the woodwork. I actually became a bully just to keep from being bullied. And to hear this put out in song was really powerful in words that I couldn't have come up with myself because I do more than that goes to that kid that I used to be. Because, yeah, I'm a, bio, I'm a barrel of laughs now, but I'm not fearless anymore. Not at all. Believe it or not. Anyway, now I do just want to talk about one more depressing thing. Just one more. Just bear with me. Um, also, during this concert from Heartland, during the One I Knew concert, uh, like I said, they were talking about the rash of teen suicides that, you know, when these kids realized that they were gay, that they uh, panicked and d- did the wrong thing. And they were singing some song, and I wish I could remember what it was. It was beautiful and it was sad, but they had a scrim in front of them, and they were projecting one by one slides of. Um, pictures of kids that killed themselves in the past few years, um, just their faces and their ages. And it just started with one, and they would add another, and they would add another, until eventually the whole screen was filled as the song was being sung. And these eyes of these kids were haunting me. It just was so painful to see these beautiful people that are gone because they didn't know there was a way out. They didn't know that there was you know, something silly like a 6,000 faggots singing in a room somewhere that were there supporting them. And it really ate a hole in my heart. Now, some of you might remember I got to see our sister chorus, the Youth Pride Chorus, uh, a few months ago, and I was really moved by them. Well, they got to go. They got to go as well to Gala, and they met up with a whole bunch of other youth choruses from around the country, all of them incredibly talented, incredibly vibrant kids. And I went to see their big blowout special, and in the middle of it, I just started bawling. There was a group up there that was not particularly good, you know, but they had heart, and they were there, and I just said, you know, I heard some queens being bitchy behind me, like, oh my god, this is painful, and I looked, and I'm like, these are 15 kids that are not going to be on that slide projector, PowerPoint project next year, when next time they do that concert. These kids are going to make it. And that made me so damn happy. And I also got to meet one of my former screamers of the Scream Queens of the Week. You remember after that concert, I gave it to a girl named Vanessa who had this great story about how she overcome hardship and how she had no act, she thought she had no future until she found the chorus, she started singing. And I gave her Scream Queen of the Week because she was so awesome and so cool. What I met her again, I finally got to tell her that she won. She was so excited. I hope you're listening right now, Vanessa, whose name is actually Rebecca. So I'm a total dick for getting your name wrong in the first place, but you did win Scream Queen of the Week. I don't remember what episode it was, but just start listening to back episodes, all of them. You'll figure it out, girl. You're smart. Okay, just a couple of last things, and I swear to God I'll be moving on off this topic. I swear to God, I'm serious. But we didn't just go to perform our Accentuate the Positive uh, concert. We also came to bring the big gay sing to the rest of the world. Now, if you remember back in our spring concert, we do it every year. It's a big sing-along concert. It's a huge, huge moneymaker, and we want to sell the ideas off to other chorus. So we had the biggest big gay sing 
of all. We invited all these other choruses to join us on stage. We had the Men Alive group from Orange County. We had the Charlotte Gay Men's Chorus. We had the Seattle Women's Chorus featuring the amazing, the amazing lesbian um, comedy choral act called Sensible Shoes, which I think is a fantastic name for anything lesbian, and, and, and also all the Youth Pride choruses. And it was even bigger and gayer than when we did it in April. Now, you might remember that the whole goal of the gay men's, the big gay saying, is to make all the gay people, is, is to make it as gay as humanly possible, then make it even gayer, and then when we can't possibly make it any gayer, we make it gayer. So, the goal is to have all the gay people in the audience actually covering their eyes by the end going, oh God, please make them stop. Please make them stop. And I think we succeeded because our finale was a mashup of um, Madonna's Express Yourself and Lady Gaga's Born This Way because, you know, hello, same song. But it featured not one, not two, not three, but 12 drag Madonnas, drag Madonnas from every possible incarnation of Madonna that we could think of. Like, every time the one came out, you're like, well, this has got to be the last one. Nope, there's another one. Up, oh, there's another one. Up. Oh, there's another one, and then the glitter bombs exploded. And there he just, it was so gay, but so good. I want to thank all the incredible people that I met along the way. I, my, my, my evil twin, Mike Ryan, from Portland, whose group's chorus was so sexy when they did their choreography that I could have died. And I also just want to say, this is something that breaks my heart about conventions in general. You know, like, I feel this at Horror Hound, and I totally felt it this weekend in at Gala, especially with you, Mike, because I never get to spend enough time with you. But these things, it's great. You get to see your friends from all over the world and all over the country. But there's so much going on, and there's so many other people to see that you never actually get to spend the amount of time you want to with anybody. So Mike, one of these days we're actually going to connect and sit down and have a dinner or cocktails or something together and actually have a conversation, which would be wonderful because child, I missed you since you moved to Portland. I want to thank Kevin Sturges and Mark from the Turtle Creek Corral for showing me how beautiful singing can be, and you know, how formal Beautiful. I just think you guys were gorgeous is what I'm saying. And the thing is, too, that our hotel that we stayed in, this was amazing. They had complimentary happy hour every day. Free cocktails every day. So these, these guys got me drunk one day. It was nice to spend like a, every day with a nice low-level drunk constantly. But these guys got me drunk one day, and I bonded with them. And it was a really special moment, a highlight of the thing. And I'm so happy I got to hear you guys sing. Oh, I also want to say a big hi to all the caballeros. The Gay Men's Chorus of Palm Springs. I met so many of you this weekend. I hung out with so many of you. I gave out so many of my cards. You gave me all of your cards. And I washed your cards with the laundry when I got home. So the men of the Caballeros, if you're listening, please say hi again. It would be nice to reconnect. <laughs> I'm not ignoring you. I just washed you. <laughs> not that you needed it, but... <laughs> oh, shut up. Um, I got to meet a fellow screamer, y'all. Listener Chad is the superstar of the Boston Gay Men's Chorus. He does all their arrangements, apparently. He's their pianist. And I watched him play that piano, and he was setting that motherfucker on fire. He was playing so... F 
He's playing these complicated jazz riffs. I'm watching his hands like lightning going across the keys, but his face is just like, num, 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 num. I'm totally thinking of something else because I am so awesome. I don't have to pay attention to what I'm doing. But Chad, you were amazing. Your group was amazing. Thank you for singing, Ren. Thank you for singing all those 90s selections because it brought me back to a time that I really, in my mind, hated musically, but then I saw you guys' stuff and it, I really don't. And Ren is a special thing for me too because, you know, it's dated now and it doesn't mean what it did back then. But when I saw it in 95, it was a little ray of hope about the AIDS crisis that had not been present before. And now it's a whole other beast. You know, fuck the movie. Fuck you, movie. Fuck you, Rent movie. But that's not the point right now. Who else did I meet? Oh. Oh, I met someone very special this weekend. Um, I met a guy. Uh... Not that kind of special, but he, he, he was kind of the fish out of war. He got thrown in with my group just as a rooming situation, and he was not one of us. So it's kind of awkward to have somebody from another course staying with a bunch of people that's, you know, that he, there was always the risk that then he's not going to fit in. But as soon as I met this dude, we clicked. I loved him on contact. He was like my big brother. You know, he understood safety girl. He understood safety girl really well. And... I think it was the following day that he told me that he was not born a man. And he told me that it happened at Gala. Well, the realization happened at Gala. He was singing with a lesbian chorus, a women's chorus. He heard them singing that song from Mulan about not liking the person that you see in the mirror. And that was his light bulb moment. And now he's a man. And he hoped that that was okay. And I told him, I liked you on contact. And I like you, period. And... It was a magical moment. It was a very brave thing for him to do, to tell all of us, actually, um, these people that he just met, this, this important thing about him. And I have a friend forever. You know who you are. I'm not sure if I should say your name or not because I don't know how out you are with this whole situation. But my little friend, who kept me from spilling my drinks all weekend because I talk with my hands a lot when I'm drunk, you are the Scream Queen of the Week. Bravo, bravo, bravo. And you should know you're not getting a tiara. You're not getting a tiara. You don't have the hair to clip it on anymore, you bastard. It'll just roll off your head. I love you. There's probably a million other things I could talk about this weekend, but I know you're so bored by this as it is, that I'm just going to wrap it up right now. And let's move into the show proper. Let's find some fun music to go out on and see you at Camp Crystal Lake. Or not Camp Crystal Lake, whatever the fuck. Let's see you at the Looney Bin. All right? All right. There's a moment you know You're fucked Not an inch more room To self makes you really jump is that the weirdest shit is still to come you can ask yourself hey what have i done you're just a fly the little guys they kill for fun men
Well, it's that time. We've had another Friday the 13th on the calendar, which means only one thing. It's time for the fifth edition of the Friday the 13th Spectacular! Now, now you new folks are probably listening. Is there really any need to talk about Friday the 13th any more than we've already talked about it? And for God's sake, why are you playing yodeling music? And the reason? There is no reason! Just cause. Okay? Well, it's because my take on Friday the 13th is a little bit different than everybody else's. Allow me to explain. You longtime listeners might remember way, 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 way back, I made a promise to you. I made a promise to you back in episode three when I had my very first Friday the 13th spectacular. I promised that whenever a Friday the 13th came along on the calendar, I would review, discuss, and reflect upon my memories and, and my, 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 my whole Friday the 13th experience. Seeing them in the theaters, first run, and of course my witty repartee and banter on said subject. I thought it would be fun, and it was fun. But with this past Friday the 13th, last week, it has now officially become work because the next film in the series is Friday the 13th, Part 5. A new beginning. Let's take a listen to the trailer, goddammit. If the memory of Jason still haunts you, you're not alone. Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning. Severe trauma at age 12. Brutal self-defense murder of a psychopathic killer. Boy, they've given him every therapy they can think of. It's wonder his mind isn't fried with all the drugs I've given him. Mindless, murderous fury that was buried with Jason has been reborn. Pete! And suddenly, terror has become child's play. Friday the 13th, Part 5, A New Beginning. Okay, where do you even start with this one? This is really hard to talk about because I really hate this movie. This is the beginning of the end of my love affair with the Friday the 13th series. But like I said, I made a promise to you guys, and I'm going to keep my promise because I love you. I'm doing this out of love for you. I suffer, I suffer, I suffer, and what do I get for it? Your undying love and affection. So, let's go down this route. All right, picture it. Long Island, 1985. This is the first time I didn't drag anybody else to see this movie in the movie theater with me. I went by myself. I got my dad to buy me a ticket, you know, that whole charade, and I just went in. That whole thing. To an empty theater. Now, virtually empty theater, but let me tell you something. In the days leading up to the release of this movie, I... Honey! 
All right, so it's my freshman year in high school when this one comes out, and I have to admit that in the weeks leading up to it, I was quite excited. I was quite excited to see the franchise continuing, because, you know, like, as you've learned from listening to it, I've got this special connection with it. You know, it's been a, it's been always been a touchstone occasion every time I got to see one of these in the movie theaters for one reason or another, and I always get great lifetime memories out of the whole thing. And I was speculating, how are they going to make this continue? Because I figured they can't possibly bring Jason back, right? He's dead. Well, maybe it'll be like a whodunit. Who might it be? Might it be someone coming back from one of the other movies, like one of the Survivor Girls? Has she gone crazy? Is it Dana Kimmel? Because at the end of that movie, she was like, bleh, 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 when they put her in the police car. Maybe. Anything's possible. Anything's possible. You had the world of opportunities, of things to choose from imagination allowed to run rampant and he gave me this fuck you paramount fuck you so hard so it's long island 1985 i couldn't get anybody to go with me now i was at a new school i think it was fairly early in the term i didn't know anybody yet and i didn't you know lost touch with those friends from junior high because that was all cool now and in high school and so i went by myself like a total total Awesome person that I am. I had my dad buy me the ticket, and I went into a virtually empty theater, which is weird on opening weekend. That should have been a tip-off, but alas, it wasn't. The only people with me were a group of teenage girls that sat directly in front of me. I hate when people do that, you know? You're the only person in the theater, and people come in just as the movie's starting, and for some reason, they choose to sit right on top of you. I'll come back to them periodically because while they don't have a lot to contribute, what they do have to contribute is quite significant to my memories of this film. Good memories of this film because aside from that, there's not much. Now the thing is, as I mentioned on my last episode, I was hosting, I was asked to host a screening of the original Friday the 13th put on by the Dark Side Horror Movie Meetup Group at a pub here in Astoria, Queens. So I just watched the original two days before I watched this. And having to see that in a, in a, see the original in a pub environment with, you know, real fans and watching and go, wow, this is actually a really decent movie. There's lots of layers to it, surprisingly so. And the camera work is actually really, really ingenious. Sean S. Cunningham has this knack of keeping the, like, half the screen in shadow all the time. So it was always kind of alarming, like, what's going on in the dark right over there? Whether you know it or not, you know, subconsciously or whatever. This one has got dick in it. It's got, it doesn't even have dick in it. <laughs> it's got, it's a pile of shit. This movie is such shit from start to finish. I remember sitting in the darkened movie theater and it starts and it's got that really overbearing violin thing at the beginning. With little stupid Corey Feldman running through the, through the woods in his gigantic boots. Squish, 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 squish. And as soon as they got to the grave of Jason Voorhees, immediately I start picking it apart. I'm going, he's buried in the woods? He's buried? Somebody gave him a burial? Is that even a tombstone? Okay, granted, it turns out to be a dream sequence. Anyway, but this is what really started to worry me. You get the two douches who come and dig him up. And then, ta-da! Okay, and... <laughs> Even though it was a dream sequence, they did have the decency not only to bury him in his hawking mess, but also with a machete and an ice pick. Thanks, that's really thoughtful, burial crew. And, um, yeah, the two douches come and they bury him up, and they get killed. And when that machete came up, I go, that is the flimsiest piece of shit I ever saw. And you get a nice, long, loving look at it as it comes slowly swinging at little Corey Feldman. 
And it's the first in this movie of lots of really, really slow weapon swinging. I'm going to slowly raise my arm up into the attack position where I will hold it for approximately five to seven seconds until you decide on a like uh, on an offensive mood, a defensive mood, or some bullshit. And it never got better. It never got better. First of all, the setting of this makes me uneasy. Something about setting it at a halfway house for mentally unstable kids was just not didn't just gel right with me. You know, it's one thing to have a bunch of happy-go-lucky teenagers off, you know, smoking dope and screwing in the woods, but this was kind of grim to start with. And then you don't spend any time with them whatsoever because this is the first movie in the series that really just became all about the body count. Who needed a story? Actually, that's not true because they piled all this story on it. It's so overplotted and none of the plot is anything that you need in a slasher movie. It's just monotonous stupid, weird sitcom-y stuff. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not like any of the films in the series are masterworks of character development, but just having seen part one so closely to seeing this piece of crap just really pointed out how little time they even bothered even giving these people stock character identities. I mean, you didn't have the slut, you didn't have the jock, you didn't have the practical joker, nothing. But at least when I look at Friday the 13th, the original, you actually know... A bit about these people outside of the whole camp scenario. Like, for instance, little poor Annie, poor first little victim Annie. She's got this bright, sunny disposition, and she's got dreams, and she loves children, and she just seems to be an eternal optimist. She's thrilled to be hitchhiking. She's thrilled to get dropped ten miles off from where she needed to go instead of getting the whole, uh, getting the ride the whole way. Or Brenda, for that matter. You know, she's a vegetarian. And she's really knowledgeable about nutrition. And she reads important books because she quotes things like, What hath God wrought? And things like that. And of course, you got the practical joker. You got sensible Bill. You got well, all kind of stuffy, whatever the fuck Kevin Bacon's name was. And you got kind of dippy Marcy, who still has a couple of good one-liners every now and then. Well, at least we know what's for dinner. This one, Nothing. You know nothing about these people, for the most part. And you know what? I didn't want to know anything about them. Just die. And they didn't even do that well. God damn it. I was just watching it this time with Mr. Brad, who's never seen it before. I just really saw how cheap everything looks. You know, you got... Just the style of acting, and a lot of the actress is just too big. It's too big. Particularly, of course, everybody's favorite fucking Ethel and Junior, who seem to have wandered in from the set of Mama's Family and are playing sitcom, which would have been fine had the rest of the movie played like a comedy, which it shouldn't have because it's a Friday the 13th movie, and they're not supposed to be funny. And they weren't funny. They were just gross, and I could smell them through the TV, and I hate that. Keep your body odor on the screen where it belongs. Thank you very much. And then there's the fucking mayor. The mayor comes in, and he's just like, I'm Mayor Axe with his hands. Next time, why don't you bring me a live suspect? You'll get me a goddamn live suspect. Jason Voorhees is dead. I'm acting with my hands right now, and you can't see it, but I'm hoping you can hear it in my voice. I hate this fucking movie. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. It's really hard for You know what? I'm so angry at myself for having discussed this movie at all, for making this fucking promise to you guys. They're finding it hard to talk about. So I'm just going to look at the copious notes that I scribbled furiously. During, during the viewing of the film and see if I can decipher any of them. Oh, first of all, it says Reggie the Reckless. I said if anybody in the hood was named, you know, came across anybody named Reggie the Reckless, 
You're gonna get your ass kicked, Reggie, in, in your red tracksuit. Fuck you. You're on different strokes. You got raped at the bicycle store, if I'm not mistaken. Am I right? Was it Reggie that got molested at the bicycle store on different strokes? Well, no wonder he's at the crazy camp. Anyway, Vic, Vic, hot, oh, yeah. <laughs> Vic, the guy who kills the, the, the fat kid with the axe. Well, he was the only thing in the, in, the, in the movie that was hot, in my opinion. And also, I appreciated that he was flagging top with his armband. Anyway. <laughs> now, also in this film, in this installment of the series, you get some really, we really start embracing embracing the on-screen pooping. Because we got not one, but two on-screen poops, and they're both liquidy and gross. Thank you. Thank you for that. I really kind of understand on some level, why you have to include people going to the bathroom in horror movies. I've talked about it on the show before. I guess it's because you're never really more vulnerable when you're in that position, mentally, physically, all kinds of vulnerable. But still, why does it always have to be running diarrhea? Huh? Is that supposed to be funny? Because I know some people think it's funny. But in reality, it's actually wet and runny. Diarrhea. Cha-cha-cha. So, we got the fucking... The fucking greasers show up halfway through the movie. So this is what I don't like. Like I said, it became all about the body count. So instead of focusing on the teens at the at the at the halfway house, you get the, the parade of random meat that comes through. Meat for the grinder. And first up on the list are these two fucking greasers that what movie set did they wander out of? Were they supposed to be punks? Were they supposed to be bikers? Clearly they weren't bikers because they were in a car. But <laughs> They're all singing the bebop and shit and shitting in the woods and the guy's wearing the hat that looks like fucking, I don't know, Vic... Who is that guy? I don't know. It looks like, like Blackboard Jungle. You know that movie from the 50s? Just, just Marlon Brando. Young Marlon Brando. Who are these... Where are they? Who are these people? Where are they going? Is what they always say on Project Runway when you're wearing an outfit. I'm looking at that outfit going, who are you? Where are you going? You're going to go shit in the woods. Well, I guess you're dressed appropriately then. Anyway... He's off pooping in the woods. His buddy gets killed with the with the with the um, with the road flare, which is actually pr- fairly inventive. It was a decent special effect, you know, even though the head looked a little rubbery. But um, I hate rubbery head. Uh, but as 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 Bradford so so cleverly pointed out, when Pete got back, he's like, "Come on, baby." Well, no, I know that wasn't his name. Yeah, I'll just play an audio clip of it. Did Pete also do a lot of coke when he was out of the wood? Come on now. Come on, everybody. Because he's talking really fast. Fix the fucking car. And then I wa- I, I, I'm watching this. Like, Fucked up again, you asshole. Yeah, I think he did do a lot of coke when he was out in the woods. I'm really rude. And then, all poor thing, Pete gets his throat slashed in the first of a long line of shitty special effects because he gets his throat slit and it doesn't bleed. It's clearly painted on. Come on, guys. It was a close-up. This is where I said the people who put this together really didn't give a shit. Lazy, lazy filmmaking, and it was just proved over and over and over again. Don't kiss me when there's people around. Oh, Reggie the Reckless says that to Gramps. Don't kiss me when there's people around, okay? To which I said, wait for when we're alone. (laughs) 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 And it's not helping the case. That, you know, every, this whole thing feels like it was made by TV people, you know, like TV sitcom people, is that the, the, the deputy looked like Don Knotts, like a better looking Don Knotts. 
Okay, then we get the second batch of victims. We get the guy who drove the the other the guy who drove the 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 the, the mental hospital van and and Lana, Billy and Lana. <laughs> There's so much to be said, such as it's showtime. <laughs> possibly one of the most embarrassing and unnecessary boob reveals in cinematic history, or at least in the series history. But as Bradford pointed out, when she's she sprays her, she's got the breath spray. She's looking in the mirror, she's got the breath spray, and she shoots it in her mouth, and she moves it again, and Bradford turns to me and goes, did she just spray Banaka between her boobs? And I said, yes, Bradford, she did. That had never registered before. Well, minty fresh tits are a really important one for a date, I suppose. Now, poor Billy got killed in the car, and here's the other thing that's a problem with the series, this, this installment of the series. You show you have Billy's ball head sticking out of the car, and he's like, hey, Lana, come on. There's no suspense here at all. There's no sense of him being stalked, nothing. All of a sudden, you see two feet with an axe, and boom, the axe is in his head, which is how most of the kills in this go. All of a sudden, a weapon just appears, boom, it's over. There's no stalking. There's no, ooh, is he over here? Is he over there? Okay, you get the cheap cat scare, but, you know, what the fuck does that matter? But anyway, now he's dead, but before he died, he put out, out like, a whole fucking kilo of coke out on a train. <laughs> Which he then promptly dropped. But, you know, as Bradford put it, <laughs> you really shouldn't put that much coke on a plate. Especially when you're in a car that's got no windows in it. And I said, you know, you're right. He's in a car with windows wide open, doing an entire plate of coke. Oh, which... Okay, now I should start talking about this. Now, we had a couple of kills earlier. Right? The, the big titty girl who got the thing in the eyes and boyfriend with the band around his head. Now, let's... Bring it all back. Remember those girls I told you that I was sitting in uh, behind? Now, they didn't have much to contribute. One of them was particularly chatty. But every time somebody was about to die, any female was about to die, this girl was very concerned about their boobs. When you had the girl, she's rolling around naked in the woods going, Hmm. 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 The girl just goes, oh my god, I bet she's going to get it right in the tit. No, I'm serious. She's going to get stabbed right in the tit. Oh my god. it's, it's No, I'm telling you, she's going to get stabbed in the tits. And then it didn't happen. Now Lana comes out to the car later on in the movie. And she's like, Billy, where are you, Billy? Ooh, cocaine. Which, you know, but the fact that a kilo of cocaine was laying on the floor of the car was not a big tip-off that there was something wrong, but I guess wherever they are, it just grows on trees or whatever, but that's not the point right now, because all of a sudden, the girl in front shines up and she's like, oh my gosh, she's gonna get in the tit! The axe is gonna hit her right in the tit! Right between the tits, I'm telling ya! It didn't hit her in the stomach. She was really disappointed. I felt like I wanted to go console her. Then I realized that would be really creepy. Now things get moderately interesting when Demon and his date show up because, you know, granted it's another on-screen poop, but at least it's a musical on-screen poop. Ooh, baby. Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Hey, baby. My favorite part is the key change coming up now. like that actor. I can't think of his name. I met him in a horror hound, the guy that played his demon, and he was a total dick. <laughs> but I don't hold it against him. Apparently he was a dick to everybody because he was more interested in playing online poker than talking to anybody. Did he get my $20? No, he did not. 
No, he did not. You know why? Because this shit box is gross. This shit box is gross. But here's the thing. Again, with Demon and with Pete pooping in the woods, neither one of them wiped or washed their hands. That's so gross because he had liquidy enchilada shit and at no point did he even reach for toilet paper. And I'm sorry. I don't care how much I love you. I'm not going to be singing to you while you're in a filthy outhouse with diarrhea. It's just not going to happen. And even on the flip side, if I was on the toilet bowl shitting my brains, I'd be like, stop singing at me, you crazy bitch. What the hell is the matter with you? God. They were high. They were high. I wish I was high. Everybody in the movie was high except for us. No fair. And, and, and just, well, I love that they were smoking dope with Reggie and the camp. Did you know? That's right. That's right. Bradford pointed. I never noticed that before. That, you know, when Pam, stupid ass Pam, who's got to scream like a train whistle, brings Reggie to see Demon and his hoe, that they are smoking pot right in front of Pam and the child. At no point does that blunt go away. I rewind it, and I'm like, yep, there's the whole scene that joint is burning. I'm like, Pam is a little too cool. She's a little too cool. And then you finally, the kids, the main kids start getting killed, and there's just something oogie about it. I don't, I can't put my finger on it. There's just something oogie about all those three deaths. I just don't like them. I guess maybe because the kid, the, they're not developed at all, and what you know about them is not particularly likable. And I kind of want to like the people that are dying on screen. That sounds weird. But I'm weird. But instead I started to notice mistakes. Like when Robin gets into bed. Shortly afterwards she finds the, I don't know, the stutterer guy with the, with the machete in his face. Not the machete, but the meat cleaver in his face. However, when she got in, he's not there. It's a clear shot of the bed. There's nobody in the bed. So lies. Lies, lies, lies. And of course, of course, you know... When, you know, Robin takes her top off and she's standing directly in the window with the titties out, the girl in front of me is like, oh my god, the tits! She's got her tits out! She's gonna get stabbed in the tits! She's gonna get stabbed right between the tits! Oh my god, I can't stand it! Oh my god, cover your tits! Well, I hope it comforts her somewhere to know that had the film not had been, had the film not been as heavily edited as it was, she would have been right, because that machete did come up between her tits, in the original cut. So, girl from sat in front of me, I hope you're happy. Or something. I don't know. I hope your tits are fine. You're very concerned about tits. Which brings me to Violet. Violet is the... This scene is the only scene in the entire movie that remotely works for me. I know people make fun of her because the breakdancing, whatever you want to call it, whatever... I like it. The music choice is good. I like her moves. They're very of the time. People are like, oh my god, the outfits are so ridiculous. Well, guess what? That's what I looked like in 1985. Okay, maybe my hair wasn't as long as poofy, but that's exactly the look I was going for in 1985. Because I was a rebel and I'm never going to be any good. But just everything works. The camera work here works. Though his sneak into the room, it's the only suspenseful scene where he doesn't pop up like a jack-in-the-box. You know, you see him come in the room, and you see the bloody knife, and there's the thunder, and the lightning, and the rain. It all is timed really nicely until, like, the actual death, which always annoys me. This is what annoys me. It happens a lot in this series after this point. Or in just any horror movie, somebody has, the killer has you by the throat, has you pinned against the wall by the throat, and they don't do anything with their hands. They just kind of go, uh, uh, tilt their head left to right, uh, uh, uh. Like, I'll be, I'll be scratching that off, I'll be punching and kicking, but they're just like, uh, uh. 
now evidently Violet was supposed to get stabbed in the vagina in the original cut. I'm glad they cut, cut that out. There was no need for that. The character wasn't developed enough to deserve that. that that's something to be safe for somebody nasty. And I was just doing looking for pictures for this podcast uh, you know, to put up on the page. I found pictures of the F, the actress who played Violet, you know, just lounging around set, happily smiling with her gigantic vagina wounds. So I'm glad she was happy about it. But I don't know. The whole movie is just terrible, 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 terrible. Can we get to Pam here? Can we get to Pam? We get to Pam with her see-through wet T-shirt or wet blouse that she's running around with with Reggie the whole time. I'm like. She got her nipples hanging out, and there's a child on set. This movie would never get made like this now. And, you know, I wasn't really looking at her tits anyway. I mean, granted, I'm not looking at tits in general, but these I wasn't really concerned about at all. Maybe because she screamed like a train whistle. And her face never really moved enough to, to, like, justify pain. Even I mean, like, fear. Even when she falls in the mud puddle, she's just, like, just wiggling around like a fat pig. Well, Jason is slowly plodding along. La, la, la. Because this was the movie where he learned how to teleport. You know, he could just walk right behind you, and you run for five miles, and somehow he got ahead of you. And he never did fuck this. Or it's not even Jason. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Don't even get me started on the goddamn solution. That's fucking Roy the ambulance driver. Thank you. World of opportunity opened up in front of you. You could have gone any direction with this, and you made it that. Okay, so here's what really pisses me off about Roy. Sure, fine, they made it some character who's barely on screen, although the time he was on screen, they might as well hung a sign on him that says, I am the killer, but that's not the point right now. My point is about this. He went on a killing spree because Vic axed his super annoying son to death over a candy bar. Roy then goes on a killing rampage, killing everybody in the entire fucking town except the person who actually killed his son. That is not scary. That is inefficient. If this was a corporation, you would be fired, sir, Roy. This is the same problem that happened with the Halloween series for me because... You know, in part two where they introduced the, oh my god, he's really, his Jamie Lee Curtis is his sister bullshit. The whole thing went to hell for me because the first film, take it on its own, it's, the, the kills in it follow a certain pattern that is very traceable forensically. It follows a classic forensic pattern, which by the way, Jamie Lee Curtis is not the intended victim. I'll get on that another day, but not today because we're getting a fight over it. But there's rhyme and reason to it, even though it's never really out, you know, Paint it out. However, once they put the, oh my god, she's his sister bullshit, it becomes an exercise in inefficiency because in movie after movie after movie after movie after movie, he kills everybody in the entire town except the person he wants to kill, be it Jamie Lee Curtis or uh, whatever the hell her daughter's name was. I can't think of her name. You know who I mean. You know who I mean. Okay, sure, he finally kills Jamie Lee Curtis in part eight. Good for you, sir. It only took you seven god. Damn movies, you piece of shit. You lazy, awkward, bumbling piece of shit. You would be fired, sir. You are fired, Mr. Myers. That rhymed. Go fuck yourself, Paramounts. Because this was the beginning of the end for me in the Friday the 13th series. It's all kind of a slow downward spiral with an occasional peak. Now and then. Now, I know those of you who came late in the game think that part six is this shit. Well, I think it's just shit, but we'll talk about that next Friday the 13th. Why? Because I love you that much. Fuckers.
This is John. I haven't called in forever, but I have been busy well, watching movies. Stranger. I saw Prometheus in the theater the weekend that it opened, and yes. I did enjoy it. However, I'll say I was a little disappointed, and I went into mm-hmm. it with perhaps some unrealistic expectations that it would be a cornerstone movie the way that Blade Runner or Alien were. Well, sure, sure. And it did not live up to that, unfortunately. There were definitely some excellent parts of it. Uh, The self-operation scene, I have to Uh. confess, was almost as scary as being in the operating room when my children were born. Okay. that uh, That was a good time to be had. Um, Also, a message to all you folks out in Scream Queens land, if you guys are not watching these movies that Patrick reviews, you you bitches are missing out, because Mm -hmm. I've been watching films like Julia's Eyes and The Reef, um, Attack the Block and The Skin I Live In, and these are damn good movies, and they're a whole lot of fun. Um, Patrick, keep up the great work, and keep recommending the good films and steering us clear of the bad ones. I appreciate when you take one for the team. Uh, I hope you and Brad are well, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye. John, thank you so much for calling in. And by the way, John, I'm so sorry I didn't get to your voicemail before this. I got lost in the shuffle. And then all of a sudden, there you were in my box, and I said, hey, that's a really old date, and I didn't talk to John. Second of all, I thought you were John from San Francisco, who's gay, and I doubt he'd be in the operating room seeing babies fly out of anybody. But you never know. You never know. It's the 21st century. Anything's possible. But yes, I saw Prometheus. I agree with you. I thought it was okay. I thought it was okay. There are parts that I liked. There are parts that just made me roll my eyes. And overall, I thought it was really kind of pompous. Parts of it, just the overall tone of it, reminded me somewhat of the later Matrix movies where they were just spouting bullshit. Just spout bullshit. The operating room scene was kind of cringeworthy for me until I suddenly realized that she was being operated on by one of those, you know, crane machine game things. You know, where you put in the quarter and try to pick up the teddy bear and it drops it down the slot. And after that, it wasn't scary anymore. I was just disappointed because he introduced this great character of Miss Vickers, which is an amazing name for a villainous type character. And then, because and every time they said it, it had such weight. Miss Vickers is ready for bed now. Loved it. And then she didn't do anything the whole movie. She just, <laughs> they gave her all, she was just this cold bitch for no reason. And it was really disappointing. And she was too stupid to know to run sideways. And you know what I'm talking about. Cause that, just, that was the icing on the cake for me in this movie. I'm like, come on! Come on, both of you, run sideways. Well, one of you listened, one of you didn't. One of you's dead. There you go. Anyway, and I hope all you screamers out there are taking a note from John and watching the damn movies that I'm recommending to you because I am trying to find you the next big thing before anybody else does or trying to find you the big thing that everybody else missed because I like big things and I know you like big things because otherwise you wouldn't be here because I'm a big thing. Because I'm a big thing. Thank you, Bradford. Anyway, 
John, I love that you've been keeping up with all these movies. And do you know what that gets you, John? Gold Star. Congratulations, John. Now, of course, you must remember that gold stars cannot be redeemed for a tiara under any circumstances ever. So enjoy your little sparkly thing. Thanks for calling. Bye. Hey there, Patrick. It's Hunter from down south. Well, hello, sir. I'm two things. I'm uh, catching up on the podcast. I yes. I'm just catching up. What I don't know the actress about that you asked how he pronounced the French name. I don't remember. Uh, I'd have to look that up. And Never mind. Or <laughs> get mad about that sort of thing. Uh, I'll see if I can figure that out later. Uh, nice two, a couple weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago, a friend yes. of mine invited me to go see the world premiere of <laughs> Let's see, it was Arachnoquake, a uh, sci-fi oh my. original picture. Yes, they announced that. was that. done from, uh, some pe- uh, by some people down here in Louisiana. Ooh. He's uh, friends with one of the producers. And, yeah, so long story short, it's your typical sci-fi movie. It's the, apparently sci-fi. Excuse me. Pushed them on getting it finished, so these effects weren't, uh, they weren't completely happy with the effects, but okay. they were uh, getting there. Uh-huh. And, but the, the best part of it, it, me and a friend of mine were there, and when we were sitting there watching it, mo- it's set in New Orleans, but most of it is uh, filmed in Baton Rouge. And oh, okay. about a half the movie is filmed in on one street in the middle of downtown Baton Rouge, 3rd Street. And I don't think this would have come across for someone not here, but... Uh, watching it, we just kept seeing them. They they couldn't get away from Third Street. It was the oh. black hole of Third Street. Oh they'd, no! Uh, they'd run, drive off, run away from the giant spiders, and then they'd be back on Third Street. So. Oh! But yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Eddie Furlong looks terrible. Oh God, he's awful. He was a nightmare to work with. Of course he, he is, crackhead. Um, but yeah, all right. Y'all have a good one, uh, and I will talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye. Well, Hunter, it was wonderful to hear from you. And uh, I'm glad that you had a good time in the movie. It looked terrible in the best possible way. Um, they announced that one when we were there. And the other one, the, I forget what it was, Tarantula Conda. I don't remember. But, you know, it's all the same. Take two big things and put them together and set them loose on the world. Will science ever learn, Hunter? Will science ever learn and it's cool it got filmed in your backyard like that and um i heard that third street is a real bitch you know it just goes on and on forever so well now you have an inside joke about it um yeah about that actress i don't even remember what the hell her name was it was my query at the time but you know that was ages ago i life has gone on stop worrying where you're going move on if you can know where you're going, you're gone. Just keep moving on. Now I'm singing Sunday in the Park with George, which means thank you for calling, Hunter. Bye. Hey, Patrick, this is Trey. You Hello, were asked Trey. to call in about Friday the 13th Part 5, so oh, I thought God. I'd call in. Yeah. Um, it's kind of the one that I think is most or it's hated by a lot of people, but i got to say, ding, considering ding, ding, ding. some of the crap that came in the series later, mm. it's actually pretty charming, and it's it's a lot of fun. It's not it's not a good one by any stretch of the imagination, no. but it's not boring. Which it, you know, ah, it's no true. Jason takes Manhattan. Um, you got Tommy Jarvis, who's the only character I think to really be a reoccurring person in the series. He's you know he's crazy and goes to a halfway house, 
and a shitload of people are killed off. This movie has a kill like every five or ten minutes. Yeah, it, it's my great. Problem. It's bloody enough. It has a little bit of nudity, a little bit of sex. A little bit. It's just, it's not boring. It's got a it's really weird sense of humor to it. You got the inbred country uh, next door neighbor, the, uh, the woman and her son. Nope. Who are a blast. You got Lana, nope. who looks like a tranny. It's just, it, it, this movie's a gift that keeps on giving. Okay. So it's not boring, but, okay, here's the one thing I don't like about it. It doesn't feel like a party of the 13th movie. Not it at all. It takes place sort of in the woods, but it doesn't have any atmosphere to it. It's just a movie where they start to get really silly with the, with the whole thing. So it's yeah, it's not great. And it has the impersonator Jason, which is bullshit. Eh, and you know who that. the killer is immediately. He might as well have a big neon sign over him, pointing down at him. And feet sticking out of his but vagina. But as far as kind of an artifact of the 80s slasher film, it's fun. It's good. No. Nope. Nope. And it has the best love song ever. Well, yes. That'll... Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. I could listen to that for minutes. You would. So, part five. You know, it's, I'd rather watch that than watch Jason Takes Manhattan or Jason Goes to Hell. So, take with that what you want. Talk to you later. Bye. Trey. Honey. Sweetheart. My separated twin brother. You're dead to me. Next call. Hi, Patrick. This is Nix at the dark side. Hello, Miss um, Nix. just wanted to call you and talk about uh, Don't Go in the Woods, that horrible, horrible musical slasher <sighs> crap. Yes. I saw it uh, 2010 at the New York City Horror Film Festival, and uh-huh. I actually met the cast, uh-huh. and they are, they are a, a band, actually. Mm-hmm. They were. Because oh. when we met them... They were. They hated the movie, and they kept asking us what we thought about the movie. I was trying to be polite, so I said, it's just different. And then he said, we hate this crap, and <laughs> the band <laughs> broke up because of this movie, oh. and it's just horrible, and the singer thinks he's better than us. And this was, I think, the drummer saying it. Okay. Regardless, they all look the same, so I really couldn't tell. Yeah, I couldn't drummer, tell them apart either. Parts, what was Asian? Whatever. But the point is, apparently the band broke up after oh, the movie, oh. and they hated the movie as much as we did. So, <sighs> Thanks, was, Vincent D'Onofrio. I cannot believe that you even watched it or sat through the whole thing, because every time a song ended, we were like, yeah, yeah, it ended, and then another song started, and we're like, where's the killing? Like, uh-huh. you know, we were just waiting for someone to get Slash, but no, there's like two or three songs. In a row. Between Slash, <laughs> yeah. you know? So, anyway, just wanted to say that, and... About Gemini, yeah. I hate Gemini. Fuck them. My crazy, condescending bitch sister is a Gemini, and she is two-faced and the most horrible thing mm-hmm. that happened in this mm-hmm. planet. Mm-hmm. And I agree with you. <laughs> However, cancers are great, so you better never talk about cancers. I don't awesome. have problems with cancers. And Cancer uh, broke my heart. I just wanted to say hi, and... Uh, I hope you make another episode soon because I get bored at work. I know you do. And I hope to see you Friday. Bye. You did see me Friday. Ah, the lovely Miss Nix. I'm glad you clarified the fact that you saw Don't Go in the Woods before I talked about it, that I actually saw it when it was at Tribeca or wherever the hell it was, because I would have had to kick your ass. I'm like, why don't people listen to me when I tell you not to watch something? But you didn't know. You should have told me.
Thank you. So I would have watched it anyway because it was a musical. You couldn't have saved me, Miss Nix. You could not have saved me. Um, it's too bad about the band. I mean, that they're immortalized forever in this really shitty movie that... Because I thought as a band they were okay. There were some songs that were decent. But if it's going to be associated with this piece of crap, thanks, Vincent D'Onofrio, for fucking us all up forever. Um... Yeah, and you did see me Friday. She was, of course, talking about me hosting the Friday the 13th original screening and uh, the burlesque show, which I did half of. I did not house the burlesque show because Bradford and I got food poisoning from the fried pickles, which were delicious going up, but they were they were not so much fun blasting out later on. I'm just saying. But I got through the horror portion of it, and I hope the rest of it was cool. And it was funny because Miss Nix, she cornered me at one point. She's like, Patrick, how come all the time when you were talking about me on the show, you use this voice? And I don't really sound like that, do I? And I'm like, no, it's just my generic, geographically untraceable voice that I use for people. And she's like, no, because I don't talk like that at all, not at all. I call and I say things and they don't sound like that. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. You don't sound like that at all. She totally sounds like that, doesn't she? Y'all agree with me. Of course you do. I love you, Miss Nix. Oh, golly, we're about out of time, so it is time for me to wrap this puppy up. So if you want to be like all these awesome people who called in and made the show even more awesome than it was going to be anyway, well, you can call me on the voicemail line, 347-767-3509. Or you can write me at crew at screamqueens.com. And that's Queens. Come on, everybody. One, two, three, with a Z. Yay! You can like me on Facebook. You can follow me on Twitter. You can join the Screamers fan page for all, on Facebook for all the inside dirt. And you could you could go over to the iTunes store and you can write a review of the show. Tell me how much. Tell the world how much you love Scream Queens because I'm trying to get as much attention for this show as I possibly can, people. And I want to thank those of you who came out and did write reviews. In the past couple of weeks, they're awesome. I love all of you. I go, my goal stars to each and every one of you. I am almost at my goal of 30 by the end of July. Bring it home for daddy. Make daddy happy. You make daddy happy. Daddy make baby happy. I just creeped myself out. Oogie, oogie, oogie. So next time, I'm really not sure what's coming up in the works yet. Um, I've got some people lined up who want a guest. i got to figure out what they're going to talk about. But if you're following on the Screamers fan page on Facebook, you'll know in advance because I always tell there. Now, I know there's that other page on Facebook, but apparently they're phasing that kind of page out, and it's not cool to have that kind of page. For those of you who are on the regular... Scream Queens Horror Podcast page. Come on over to the Screamer side. I know it's really confusing. Technology is such a bitch. And so is my mother. No, she's not. Why did I say that? I'm talking in really long sentences. So until next time, continue to make the world a creepier place. And remember, as my grandmama used to say, No, boy, I will not take you camping. I'd be too I'd be too scared that I'd get poison ivy on my vagina after all it is dragging on the ground behind me these days. <sighs> Bye. I go hunting for witches. Heads up, go to roll. Some of the music for tonight's program has been provided by Mavio's Music Service. Check them out at music.mavio.com. Bitches! <laughs>
steps I didn't care I wasn't scared As I fell Down the stairs I fell Silent They had pushed me down the stairs to silence me My singing my intelligence, my sharpness, my indifference, my pushiness, my presence. I don't think they meant to kill me, just to quiet me. So I got quiet, I no longer sang. Wondered what had happened to me. Sing, they said. They kept pushing me to fall. They kept pushing me away. We don't get it. What happened to your grave? And finally ignored at school I was admired when I began to fall And then I found a way to make them all laugh at me I began to do the laughing Laughing at I began to hate And who Guess who Got hated the most